Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jay. We're back. Another episode of the Hanu Health Podcast. Glad to have you back here again. Now, I wanted to start this podcast off with telling you a little bit about why I'm doing this particular podcast. So I got so many positive comments and notes from people regarding the one podcast I did that was all about my daily routine. So I kind of took a in-depth start of my day to the finish of my day all throughout even my sleep, um, just kind of the start to finish, like, what do I do? My daily routine, my habits, if you will. And I like podcasts like that. That's why I made one. I like listening to other people like describe their daily routine, describe kind of, you know, what they uh, have as their set intentions, kind of how they go throughout their day. And so for me, I was super interested in doing it myself and throwing it out there to see if people were interested in what someone who is a stress expert, a psychologist, like how does this person like live his daily routine? So I got a lot of good feedback from that. So I decided that I would branch off and make kind of a secondary podcast similar to that one, but that was really focused solely on what I do on a day in day out basis. So like my daily habits, my daily routine for stress in particular. I mean, obviously we are a stress resiliency company here at Hanu. So I figured it would only make sense for me to do a stress podcast. So that's what I'm going to do. I am actually going to tell you my top five daily habits for me managing my stress. And I hope that you can take this information as practical, as useful. You can implement maybe something that you aren't doing already, or maybe you can focus your mindset on one of these or maybe all of them. I just hope that you can take some of this information and make it practical, make it useful, uh, make it real to you. Because I've done a lot of research and I've practiced a lot of things for stress resiliency. And so I just wanted to take time to go over those with you today. My top five, there's a lot of them. I'm going to you know, provide you with some honorable mentions here, but these will be my top five things that I do for stress resiliency. One thing I want to do before I get going, I want to do two things. First is I want to remind everybody that at HanuHealth.com, you can go and pre-order the most complete stress resiliency operating system that is known to man, if I do say so myself. So we're taking pre-orders, only $29 down. The total price of the device is 40% off its retail, so $180 total, but it only costs you $29 to put your name down on the list. We're going to start shipping out in August is what it looks like. I mean, we still got everything. All the momentum points towards August as being our release date. 
So that is that. Again, if you want an all-day stress monitor, all-day stress coach, all-day stress radar, Hanu is the complete system. It is a wonderful balance of HRV biofeedback and breathwork practices, valuable practical assessments of your overall stress and stress response, and then nonstop data monitoring. So it takes all of these things into consideration and provides you with, again, this coach and this monitor around stress resiliency and stress adaptation. So hanuhealth.com slash pre-order if you're ready just to, you know, Throw the credit card down and get yourself on the list or just hanuhealth.com if you want to learn more uh, because, again, these these spots are selling out really quick and I want you in and I think you're going to love what you see and what we're providing at Hanu. All right. So let me preface the, the rest of the podcast with this. The things I'm going to mention today are the things that work for me and have found to be effective for me. You might actually have tried these things or maybe you um, have are already implementing these things. I, I want the, you to remember that this needs to be individualized and what I do may not necessarily work for you. So with that said, I put that as kind of a a basic uh, caveat to what I'm about to share with you now. The other thing too that I wanted to mention is that when it comes to uh, daily habits, habits is probably the most difficult aspect. Like we all kind of have good head knowledge or we can have good head knowledge. It's the implementation of that head knowledge, which is a lot more difficult. There's a great book that I read and that many people have read. And I would encourage you that if you haven't read it to read it uh, by James Clear, it's called Atomic Habits. And it's about figuring out how we can make these things that we want to, or we aspire, we desire to do a part of our routine, a part of our daily habits. Habits. And Atomic is actually talking about small, small change, small habits. The implementation of these things does not have to be this mass grand scale. It can actually be something quite small that we make a change and make a tweak and make it more uh, palatable for us and then also make it more practical. And then I would say, you know, make it more sustainable as well. So I'm going to talk about the top five things for me that are the most effective for stress resiliency. And I'm really going to focus on that core concept of stress. I am someone who owns a business. So I co-founded Hanu, venture-backed tech company. I am a psychologist. I'm a dad of two. I'm a husband of one. (laughs) I uh, have a lot going on in life and it's very fast paced and it can be tough at times. And I experience stress. I experience distress, that more uncomfortable level of suffering, if you will. And I experience eustress, stress that really helps me to perform and kicks me into high gear. With that said, I have to have things within my daily routine that can help combat and recover from stress. I really began to conceptualize kind of what we do at Hanu all about recovery. And I struggle sometimes to use that word just because recovery can have a connotation of performance and athletics and exercise. And it does. But I think that mental health and stress is also about recovery. It's about recovery from some of the damage that takes place. And so these are the things that I include throughout my daily routine that are indeed focused on 
recovery as a main and primary mindset of habit change. So let's get into it. So top five daily stress resiliency habits. Number one, I should also say these are not in any particular order, but number one, exercise. And this one should come as no surprise to all of you who follow the podcast, have listened to me and listened to the podcast that I've done. Uh, When it comes to stress, resiliency, and adaptation, exercise is a form of stress inducing or or, or inducting. I was trying to think of a good word for that. It induces stress. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Stress in and of uh, sorry, exercise in and of itself is indeed a stressor, but it is a hormetic stressor. It is a stressor that is made to help build us back bigger, faster, and stronger. And we know that from research and from the literature, there is probably nothing out there that has been found to be as potent as a change agent for stress resiliency, for affecting overall health and well-being and performance than consistent exercise. So let's talk about what I do in regards to exercise and why it's so incredibly valuable and important for stress resiliency. So the first thing I do is I always start my day with a quality walk in the sun. Now, I say that, but I also do that a little bit later in my morning. I kind of say that's a good kickstart to the day. So for a lot of people who aren't waking up at 5 a.m. like I am and getting to the gym, you know, around 6 a.m. or so uh, when the sun's not out yet, that if you are waking up and the sun is either coming up or has already uh, risen, then it's great to go ahead and get a quality walk out in the sun, move, engage in optic flow, look at the surroundings around you. It's an amazing way to enhance cardiovascular functioning, an amazing way to get some good vitamin D and some good sunlight and really reset their circadian rhythm for the, for the, for the next evening uh, and, and improve the next evening sleep. We always say that good quality sleep starts as soon as you wake up. And I really, really believe that. So what I do is I typically uh, will start my day with a walk. However, a lot of times I'll be at the gym first before the sun's even out and I'll be doing either a resistance training or zone two training, which I'll be talking about here in a second. Uh, but I think that if you are in one of those positions where you're not hitting the gym the first thing in the morning, because I'm not saying you have to, everybody's gym routine can look different and it doesn't matter if you go in the morning or if you go in the afternoon. Uh, you know, we could argue about peak times for testosterone and human growth hormone, but the best form of exercise is the one that you get done and you get completed. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to split hairs too much about this one. But for me, but if you're not getting in the gym, I would say first thing you should do is just get out and get a quality walk, get movement, wake up the body, get out in the sun. That's a great first step. For me, I'm generally in the gym now around 6, 630 in the morning, uh, and I am doing uh, one of two things or both things at once. No, not at the same time. <laughs> I say uh, both things in the same session. The first would be good quality resistance training, weight training, plyometric training, uh, could be a Metcon, anything that helps you to build strength or muscle and or muscular 
endurance. So for me, it could be a good uh, free weight routine where I'm utilizing things like progressive overload and increasing the volume and sets and weight to make sure that I am indeed getting stronger. I am indeed providing uh, uh, confusion and, and mystery almost to the muscles so that we can build and regain kind of that, um, that power and that strength and that endurance. We know from multiple research studies that resistance training outside of endurance training, resistance training can be extremely, extremely effective for improving mental well-being. So can we see things like a reduction in depression, a reduction in anxiety, a, redu- a reduction in stress. And then also, too, we see things like a reduction in overall pain response, which can be very much connected to autonomic nervous system functioning and to the human stress response. All of these are whole benefits with resistance training alone. So I would say that finding a good resistance training program is extremely important. You want to know my go-to guy, Ben Pakolsky. So if you're interested in good routines, uh, good uh, means for enhancing mindset around resistance training, listen to Ben Pakolsky's podcast, The Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I think you'll find so much inherent value from that podcast. It's an incredible one that I go to. It's my go-to. Um, and he's a good personal friend of mine who I ask stuff from all the time. Um, but great stuff for resistance training. Um, also, his website is, is incredible as well. Uh, there's also plenty of other individuals that I look to that I really like their routines for weight training or resistance training. Ben Greenfield, obviously, another really good one to, to go to as well. The other thing I do is zone two training and zone two cardio has been uh, talked about a lot within the past year, two years, three years or so. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of time with the pandemic and everything. I don't even know what year it is. I mean, it feels like my both my kids were just born and now they're like legit kids in school, which is weird. Uh, but zone two training is an extremely popular one for good reason. Not because it's easy or it's hard. It's just found to be effective for increasing uh, mitochondrial output, uh, for increasing vagal output and vagal flow. Zone 2 training is something that I do weekly. And when I say weekly, I should almost say daily. Um, it is. Uh, I typically will do Zone 2 training anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, four to five times a week. And I realize that's a lot, um, but I enjoy it. I absolutely enjoy it. And as far as resistance training goes, that's about four to five days a week as well. Zone two training, what does it look like? Well, it can look very different for everybody. Uh, one of the greatest podcasts that I've heard about this, um, there's two podcasts that were done by Dr. Peter Atia and Inigo San Milan, um, who is an amazing world-class cyclist coach uh, who uh, I believe is uh, tenured out of um, University of Colorado, I want to say. And these podcasts are really interesting because they break down the science and physiology behind changes that occur with zone two and why it's so important to stay within that zone for a period of time. Uh, We say that to start off, I like the idea of three to five times a week at 30 to 45 minutes. But where we also start to see even more benefits for highly trained individuals is that 45 minutes to an hour time frame. What do I normally do for zone two? I'm either going to run or I'm going to bike. Those are my two go-tos. So the great thing about doing them indoors is that I can track wattage output on the bike 
I can track heart rate very easily too. Um, you can do that really anywhere, um, you know, with a really high quality heart rate monitor like Hanus, though we don't specifically focus on zones. We really are looking at heart rate for the stress response. But zone two um, can be uh, measured by either heart rate, can be measured by lactate, or it can be measured by subjective experience, which is a little bit uh, tougher to do. However, I like this test and it's easy for anybody to really find out like what, what, the, what their range is, is by doing this. Can you talk or hold a conversation while you're engaging in that exercise. And it's going to feel a little strainful. It's almost at the peak of like, oh yeah, this is super uncomfortable. I don't know if I could do it anymore. But that's the general test. As long as you can hold a conversation, though it may be quite strained, you may not be able to think very, very uh, extremely clear during that time. Can you do it? That's that's a good uh, you know, RPE, if you will, for zone two. The other things that I like to do in regards to exercise is just walking. Walking in general has been demonstrated over and over and over again to be extremely effective means for reducing stress and helping us to better adapt to stress. And again, walking technically is a stressor. Um, we are putting stress on the body. It is eustress. It is a form of good, quote unquote, so-called good stress. But walking is an incredible one. I aim for generally eight to 10,000 steps a day, um, typically in like the 12 to 15,000 steps per day. Uh, but research really doesn't demonstrate a significant effect beyond about eight to 10,000 steps. Um, so that is just kind of me wanting to move more and not really doing it because I think it holds any additional benefit. But walking, split your day up, move throughout the day, take like Pomodoro breaks. So like, let's say every 25 minutes, get down, do some push-ups, go for a walk, you know, do some pull-ups, do some crunches. Those are things, air squats, those are things that can be extremely effective and important throughout your day to get the blood flowing, help you to engage in that small bout of hormetic stress so that you can indeed build resiliency so that when other stressors you encounter are in kind of your, or throughout your day, you have that ability to adjust and adapt accordingly. So I really like exercise as one of my top daily stress resiliency habits. All right, the next one I'm going to go to, and I'm not going to spend too, too long on each of these. I just want to make sure I hit the highlights and tell you each of what I do. The next one. So I talked about one, which was exercise, which is a stressor to help me with stress. Number two is another stressor to help me with stress. You might see a theme here uh, on these, and that is utilizing elemental stressors as a means for stress adaptation and stress resiliency. So what I mean by elemental stressors, well, daily I have a hot exposure routine and I have a cold exposure routine. So what do I do for a hot exposure? I do sauna. I do sauna about six days a week. How long do I do it for? Typically 20 minutes. Um, it depends on the temperature of the sauna. If my sauna is running at like 200 to 220, 20 minutes and I'm good. Like I don't need any more than that. 20 minutes is pretty tough. And I've been doing sauna for a long time and do it daily. But you know, 220, uh, sauna that's 220 for 20 minutes, you're going to be hurting. Uh, but sauna, six days a week. Now there's so many 
positive benefits that come from sauna. But the one thing is all about recovery and adaptation. And we're back to those words, recovery and adaptation. So you're experiencing something that is a bit of an abnormal stressor. However, we know that the enhancements in vasodilation, the enhancements in oxygenation, the enhancements of increasing sirtuins and heat shock proteins can all be effective in helping you to build a more resilient nervous system. What do I love doing? I've talked about this a thousand times, but I'm going to say it again just in case it's the first time you've heard me say this. I absolutely love doing breath work in the sauna. Somebody asked me one time, they said, like, what kind of breath work do you do? And I, for a lot, for the most part, I just do more like paced breathing. And you can just do that by simply slowing your breathing down. It doesn't have to be paced breathing in terms of like, uh, counting or having specific time frames. I would just say extend your exhalation. When you're in a really hot sauna, and especially if it's after your workout, like it is for me almost every single time, one of the things that ends up happening is that the stress that your body's experiencing and the, especially if it's difficult to fully nasally breathe, I tell people to pace your breathing, but you can switch back and forth from an inhale to the nose and then pursed lips exhale to slow your breathing down. If doing full nasal inhales and exhalations are difficult because of uh, your heart rate being so high and because of the stressor that you're experiencing, you can go to pursed lips. If you can do nasal only breathing, I really like it because it's challenging and it increases CO2 tolerance. It's even more of a stressor for you in that moment. So I try to do nasal only, but sometimes I'll go back and forth and I'll just slow my breathing down through inhale through the nose and then exhalation through pursed lips. So sauna six days, six days a week is one of my go-tos. And then the other elemental stressor is cold exposure. I do this six days a week. What can this look like? It can look like the form of a cold plunge for three minutes or so. It can look the form of a cold shower, especially right after a sauna. If I flip over to a shower, I just go ice cold. And I normally would jump in for about three minutes. And I'm constantly moving when I'm in this cold shower. With the hot exposure, cold exposure, you're going to get immense amounts of increases in norepinephrine and epinephrine. So adrenaline and noradrenaline. You're also going to get uh, extreme in, uh, increases in dopamine. Uh, and that's kind of the pleasure or anticipation chemical that we experience um, during kind of those crazy times, which it makes, it makes, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense that you have adrenaline being secreted and noradrenaline being secreted alongside dopamine. But dopamine is significantly increased during these uh, these periods of times, which is which may be why when you're done with these and you're in the you know recovery period, you feel so incredibly good after hot and cold exposure. So I love 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 those two cold exposure. Generally, three minutes uh, in the shower, what I'll do is I'll do like three minutes ice cold shower. I'm always moving. The reason I'm always moving in the shower and then in the sauna as well is because the body will actually create a heat layer. Um, it creates this heat layer that if you stand still, you won't actually feel nearly as cold because your body's heat will start to radiate um, in an effort to warm you up. Whereas if you are continuously moving, that heat layer 
starts to break down. So I like to move for three minutes. Then I'll keep the shower running, but I'll get out of the water and I'll try to air dry for about a minute or so. And a lot of times I'll start shivering because I'll be so cold. And then I do something that sounds even more masochistic. I jump back in for another two minutes or so into the cold water. Then I always, when I'm done with those two minutes, I'll try to air dry. I try to just let myself stand there and get to the point where I'm shivering and then I'll throw the towel on. So elemental ex- uh, stressors or exposure throughout the week, six times both for hot or cold. I would recommend that if that's too much for you, try to do about three each, three times each. So three bouts of sauna or hot exposure, three bouts of cold exposure. For heat exposure, if you don't have the ability to get in the sauna, see if you have a hot tub. If you can't do hot tub, do a warm bath or a hot bath. And um, that's kind of the, the, the next best step. But I would say that sauna is kind of like the top tier. And then if you have to go to the lower tiers, it's the hot tub and then the warm bath, the cold exposure, I say the top tier is the cold plunge. Lower tiers would be a cold shower. Uh, and, or, or even filling up a tub of cold water because is a pretty good way to go. If you don't want to spend, you know, 70 bucks, you know, for a bag of or filling up, you know, your entire tub with ice, uh, each time it gets, gets expensive. All right. Elemental, elemental stressors. Number two, Number three is quality personal time with those I love. Remember, this is a daily habit. That is family time. That is me disconnecting from work, both my mind and body, trying to move away from allowing my mind to go to work. And when I say body, I'm using my phone to do emails, typing on the computer. Quality personal time with those I love is an absolute must. And that doesn't even that doesn't matter if I'm at home here, like in Greenville, South Carolina, or if I'm traveling, which I tend to do a lot of, I'm always finding ways to spend quality personal time with those I love. If you peruse the literature and you look at the effects of good quality social engagement and relationships, uh, it is one of the top things for mental health and well-being. That social accountability, that social connectedness, a lack of overall isolation. These are things that are extremely important for the mind and for the body. And I find that if I am engaging in all these other things, but I'm not engaging in this one, then there is such a void in my life. Uh, And I feel it. I feel it every single time that happens. So I would say that for me, this is a non-negotiable quality and personal time with those I love, family, friends, uh, acquaintances, even like these are things. Social connectedness is such an invaluable part of my daily habit. So that's my kind of recommendation to you. If you are not engaging with family, if you're not engaging with friends, if you're not engaging in a social life, that's something you really need to make time uh, for. Whether it's you know sending a text message today and just connecting over the phone with a close friend or you know with a family member, give it a go. You'll find that the more and more you do that, the more and more you're not going to live life without it. It is such an incredible thing for me. It's those hugs and snuggles and wrestling and playing ball with my boys. It's the same thing with my wife though. And she doesn't really want to 
play baseball or anything. <laughs> you know, you can leave that to my kids. But uh, it's just that that level of connectedness. I mean, we live close to my family and to to my wife's family. We have a lot of close friends. It's just something that we find time for. If we don't find time for anything else, it's incredible. Quality personal time with those I love. The next one, two more, is a focus on nutrition and a focus on fasting. Now, I would say that nutrition and fasting is kind of where I started my journey in health and wellness. So I got really interested in paleo and in keto and in all these kind of like larger scale nutritional movements. And it was a great opening for me into to the field of health and wellness because I thought that, you know, that was probably the most important branch. I, I tend to think that it's still an extremely important branch. It's why it's on my top five, but I wouldn't say that it is my number one. Uh, I would say it's one of five that are my top. With that said, though, it is extremely important because we all have to eat. And if we don't eat, we fast. There are benefits, but at some point we eat, we don't fast forever unless you're one of those crazy breatharians and you can live off air, which I don't think is anybody. Uh, But anyway, focused nutrition and focused fasting. Let's talk first about fasting. Then we'll talk about nutrition. I intermittent fast every single day, every single day, including the weekends. In general, I'll stop eating around six or seven at night. And in general, I do not eat again until 12 or 1 p.m. the next day. So for me, it's basically a minimum 14, but most of the time it's 16, sometimes a little bit longer than that, uh, hours of fasting every day. I do it for the mental acuity. I do it for the changes in biometrics that I see, and I do it for stress reduction. I feel less stressed when I don't have to think about food. I feel less stressed when I don't eat food because physiologically and mentally from an acute standpoint, I should say an acuity standpoint, I perform better. So for me, intermittent fasting is a natural part of my routine. I would say for many women, uh, going 14 or 16 hours on a fast, especially if you're premenopausal, may not necessarily be the best option uh, because from a hormonal standpoint, but 12 hours can be really great for a mental acuity, stress resiliency perspective. I've seen enhancements in heart rate variability, reductions in heart rate. And again, I just generally feel better if I work out fasted, and then if I do not eat you know, until lunch-ish time, uh, I just don't feel as anxious. I don't feel as stressed. I feel more clear. So I do that. Now, I will do every once in a while some extended fast, whether it's a 24-hour, 48-hour, or even 72-plus-hour fast. Now, it's a little bit more outside the scope of what we're talking about in this podcast to talk about those effects. But there can be a lot of good beneficial effects from a nervous system standpoint, from a stress and mental health standpoint to do extended fast. But do I think it is for everybody? No. I think that um, if many individuals were trying to jump into fasting and just jump straight into extended fast, especially to help with mental health benefits, that may backfire on them uh, a little bit. But I think though that if you are someone who 
who inflammation is at a root cause of a lot of the anxiety and stress or depression that you're experiencing, that this can be quite helpful. But as always, make sure that you have somebody who is providing good, solid advice and a good plan there and helping to help monitor you. We call this your you know, physician or your functional medicine practitioner, or your health coach, whoever it may be, uh, then that's probably the, the, the best way to go. All right. So that's fasting every day, intermittent fast for 14 to 16 general hours. Quality food is another really, really high priority for me for stress resiliency. High quality food that does not produce excessive or increase excessive inflammation. So we know in looking at the field of nutritional psychology and the effects that food can have on mood, this bi-directional effect, we know that a lot of the root cause of the interaction between food and mood is the role of inflammation. So what foods do I know in general for most people, but especially for myself, can cause a significant increase in inflammation? highly processed refined seed oils, high linoleic acid. We're talking about sunflower, safflower, canola, uh, rapeseed, all of these other oils that are high industrialized seed oils. All of these are extremely damaging from a highly inflammatory perspective. And in our diets, we have way too much of it. So for me, I really, really try to focus on reducing that. What's the best way to do that? Well, it's just to cut out processed foods. Those oils are typically only found in highly processed foods, whereas whole foods don't naturally come with a lot of high linoleic acid for the most part. Now, there's exceptions to that. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I, my uh, mango that I ate for lunch just a little while ago with my you know, uh, grass-fed beef None of that was containing, you know, cottonseed oil or uh, peanut oil or anything like that. So I focus on that. So reduce that that level of inflammation. The other thing would be highly refined sugars. So highly or overly processed foods that are high in sugar. Uh, for me, I do not demonize, especially given my workout routine and the amount of uh, cold and heat exposure and a lot of the other things that I do. I do not demonize myself eating things like fruit. Uh, that is a whole food. And for me, it does not affect me significantly from a metabolic standpoint. And I don't feel like when I eat some extra mango or some extra berries or include some more sugar like that in my diet, I don't subjectively feel more anxious or more stressed. However, if I'm already anxious or more stressed, then I tend to avoid eating an excessive amount of those because quantity is just as important as quality. Like we can't forget that quantity of food can be affect, it can affect inflammation. It can affect uh, stress resiliency and adaptation. But I'll talk about that here in a second. So I generally focus throughout the day on eating foods that make me feel good, not just temporarily, but more in the long term. Because temporarily, I could eat, you know, a cheeseburger and fries with a soda, and it's going to make me feel really, really good temporarily, right? Because I'm going to have that huge shot of serotonin, huge shot of dopamine, but then and then huge sugar rush and adrenaline rush. However, the problem is, is that an hour, you know, post postprandial, everything's going to drop and I'm going to hit like an absolute wall and feel awful for 
hours until I, you know, go get a Snickers bar. I don't do any of this, but I'm saying I would probably feel great if I did this. Um, you feel great and then feel awful. And the awful would certainly way outweigh the good. So for me, it's like I just choose those foods that I know react well to my body. So for me, it's a lot of protein and a lot of meat make me feel really good. Avocados, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, the berry family, these make me feel good. Eating a mango every once in a while, I'll probably eat a mango maybe maybe two a week or so, three a week. These things make me feel really good. Eating something that like kale, like raw kale, makes me feel awful. High oxalative food makes me feel awful, but it may make you feel fine. We've got to test these things out, but we also know that we affect our neurochemistry with food. Food is a communicator. So ensuring that you're eating good quality food throughout the day is such a, a, a important and easy means for enhancing stress resiliency and overall mental health. Quantity of food matters. And the reason quantity of food matters for mental health is because if you're having to engage your enteric nervous system in an overactive fashion, you're overactivating your sympathetic nervous system. You remember your enteric nervous system is a branch of your autonomic nervous system. And the more blood your gut needs, the higher your heart rate's going to be, the lower your HRV is going to be, and you're going to feel stuck. You're not going to feel as good and as mentally acute and as resilient to stress. Remember, the vagus nerve is 80% afferent. That means it sends signals to the brain of what's going on in the body. When we engage in a lot of quantity or we, we eat a large quantity of food and it's sitting in our gut, well, number one, our sympathetic nervous system is going to be highly activated for you to digest food. Digestion of food means that you have to utilize a ton, a ton of energy. Increases blood flow, increases heart rate, decreases heart rate variability. Now, in the short term, that's not inherently bad, but if it's a large quantity of food, then that means that the food could sit in the gut and ferment for a long time. And if you already have GI or gut issues, this can be highly, highly problematic. The other really, really big problem with this is that because of those afferent signals that the vagus nerve is receiving from the gut that, oh, no, we need to expend energy, so we don't need to enhance vagal outflow. Remember, our body, then when it sends those types of signals, our emotions follow. When our heart rate's increased, our emotions typically follow that. If we feel an increased heart rate and we sense an increased heart rate, that can cause us to feel more anxious. That can cause us to feel more stressed. So my encouragement is to really make sure that you're not just focusing on the quality of food, but you're also focusing on the quantity of food. So that's number four, focus on nutrition and then focus on fasting. All right, number five, the fifth and final one. And if you don't know uh, what this one's going to be as far as a stress habit, then uh, you probably have never listened to this podcast. You've got to know what this one is going to be. Without further ado, it's breath work and HRV biofeedback. You knew that was coming. Um, this one's what we do, right? Ahanu. We built an application and hardware software integration that's focused on breath work, and HRV biofeedback, which is like a tech savvy way of quantifying change 
of breath work. So what do I do? I normally start with about five to 10 minutes of resonance work each day. So within the Hanu app, you can go find your resonance frequency rate. It'll populate and then you can do resonance breathing training. So I open up Hanu and I do five to 10 minutes of resonance breathing every single morning when I'm, when I'm uh, prepping for my day about to go to the gym, I always relax the nervous system, engage the nervous system for the immense amount of pain in the gym that I'm about to feel, but it also just sets aside a really good time of my day to be mindful of my breathing, to really pace my breathing, to tell my body, this is how I want the day to go. And when I encounter difficulties throughout the day, this is what I want you to reflect flex to. This is what I want you to engage automatically without me having to even tell you. That's the point of doing a lot of breath work and biofeedback is so when the crap hits the fan, if you will, you engage that system as a reflex. It's what you automatically go into because that's the best way to get you out of it. I also do this periodically throughout the day. I just focus on my breathing. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast that I have a very high level of interoception, which means that I feel very connected to my body um, at all times. I sense when my heart rate's going up. I feel perspiration. Like I feel heart rate variability go down. Like I can just sense it. I feel it. And I can tune in to the beating of my heart within an instant. So I check in and I focus in on that, but I also check into my breathing. And if my breathing's dysregulated or dysfunctional, then all I have to simply do is change the pace, change the mechanics, and really focus on enhancing resiliency through that breath work. So I'll do it throughout the day. I always do a wind down after my workouts. Um, what do I mean by that? No, you already know about my breath work I do in the sauna, but I always take a, a time in between sets to do breath work, to just do paced breathing. I don't get on my phone. You know, I'm not texting. I'm not emailing. I'm not on social media. I'm breathing. After my workout, I like to set aside two to five minutes of just down regulating breath work, especially after zone two training, you know, zone two training, I'll get my heart rate up to about, you know, 150, not super high, but within my zone two range and I'll hold it at around 150. And then afterwards I like to do breath work to see how long does it take me to get from 150 down to 90 or so. Um, and you know, generally two to five minutes, I'm well within that range uh, and I feel really good and I can go jump in the sauna and get my heart rate back up. I also do a lot of heart rate variability biofeedback with Hanu where I actually utilize it as a guide. And we know from the research that heart rate variability biofeedback has been found to significantly enhance resiliency to things like anxiety, to depression, for stress, for panic. There was a great meta-analysis that just came out this past year about a significant reduction in panic attacks that are associated with high anxiety and panic disorder when we utilize heart rate variability biofeedback. This is just a great way to continue to send the body and the brain a signal to say, you are safe, you are comfortable, you are connected. The mountain line's not about to get you. Heart rate variability biofeedback is my absolute go-to when I need it. So if I check in and I'm becoming more self-aware of my response and I know, you know, I, I just feel it like the heart rate's up. Like I don't even need Hanu for this, but Hanu's great for it. For me, it's just automatically saying, okay, I need to set aside two, maybe three, four, five minutes just to do some dedicated breath work or do some dedicated biofeedback and really help to recenter myself. And it works for me every single time. 
every single time. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it has to significantly change my heart rate variability or my heart rate or any other biometric. What I know is that there are immense physiological changes that happen with HRV, biofeedback, and breath work or in, in, in resonance breathing. There are insanely beneficial effects that happen outside of any potential biometric change. So you don't need to see your HRV go from 20 to 70 during a biofeedback session. It may go from 20 to 20. It could even potentially go down. Doesn't mean that it was made you more stressed or wasn't effective. What it actually means is that there is something that's inhibiting or causing a reduction in vagal outflow, but there are other changes that are massively impactful and effective just by doing heart rate variability biofeedback. And so that's why I tell people sometimes like if you are getting a little bit aggravated or the data is stressing you out, just take the device off and just use Hanu as a breathwork app. You don't need to track the data. It's still extremely beneficial. And for me, it works every single time. Subjectively, when I take time to do breathwork, I always, always feel better. It's just a matter of making it a habit. My top five, exercise, elemental stressors, quality personal times with those I love, focused nutrition and fasting, and number five, breath work and HRV biofeedback. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. I know the the uh, peanut gallery is going to be out there. Well, why didn't you mention this or why didn't you mention that? I just wanted to give you my top five habits that I focus on daily. I wanted to provide, though, some honorable mentions. I'm not going to go too long into these, but I wanted to talk about them. So for me, another thing is to focus on sleep. I mean, that's a bit more of a broad topic. That's why I didn't include it as a habit. I'm going to sleep no matter what, but focusing on good quality sleep is great. The ones I mentioned today are more like my daytime habits. Good quality sleep starts as soon as you wake up. I know I mentioned that earlier in the podcast, but I felt like it you know, needed to be repeated for this podcast focus on sleep with your nutrition, with your exercise, with your stress resiliency, uh, with supplementation, with light exposure, with whatever it may be, which brings me to my next one, which is another honorable mention is light exposure all throughout the day. Get as much good quality sun and vitamin D as you possibly can utilize really good lighting in your room that keeps you focused and sustains your energy. We know that really darkly lit areas that don't have a lot of good natural light can reduce overall mood. So make sure it's in a, you're in a well lit room with good quality light. My office here has ginormous windows over to the side. And so I'm able to look outside and look at Reed River Falls and the bridge that overlooks downtown. It's beautiful. And it's great just to kind of have that little bit of sun and nature coming through, though. Yes, it's better still to be outside to get the full exposure of the light spectrum and UV and and all those other great things. So light exposure is another one. Water and mineralization, ensuring that you have good, high quality water. I use a, a use a, a filtration system. It's a four step filtration system called AquaTrue phenomenal reverse osmosis filter and then you remineralize um, because you need sodium and magnesium and selenium and all of the other great vitamins and minerals that get depleted mainly minerals that get depleted from water i just utilize like concentrates or like a trace mineral or kinton is another really good one but water and mineralization for mental health and stress so incredibly important and then there's supplementation um you know utilizing things like creatine and vitamin d or you you know, my favorite is, uh, what's, oh shoot, what's it called? It's the, the nitric oxide tablet, Neo 40, Neo 40 is what it's called. It's a great podcast I did with Dr. Nathan Bryan, but supplementation 
is another one that, that I focus on as a daily habit, but I didn't want to get too much into all this. All right. So, uh, we've gone about 45 minutes now into this podcast. So I just wanted to give you my top five. I think that these can be extremely beneficial and highly helpful mechanisms for increasing resiliency and adaptation to stress on a daily basis. So there you have it. Hope that was practical, useful, and you can implement it so that you are an amazing stress warrior and can have amazing tools. So with that said, I'm going to end this out today with that, but also one to mention again, hanuhealth.com slash pre-order. Get your hands on this device. The other thing is that we would love it if you would go on iTunes and give us a five-star review. And if Patrick and I read it on the Q&A episode, we'll send you out a beautiful Hanu Health package that is full of goodies, all Hanu Health and Oxygen Advantage and all the great stuff. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Friday. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less. Thank you.